Hi, this is Thomas Believe in the Run. This is Robbie with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And you're listening to The Drop Podcast, where we talk all things running. We talk to shoe developers. We talk to athletes. We talk to anybody who wants to talk about running. And sometimes even talk about stuff that has nothing to do with running because we're a little bit silly. Yeah. Today we're talking to Ryan Hall. Yeah, who used to be a runner. Yeah, I guess he doesn't consider himself a runner anymore. I mean, he's only the fastest half marathon American male and marathon American male. What do you think he could rip a half marathon in right now? Like he couldn't. 420. No, like if he just went out and did it. He'd like be walk running. You think so? I'm not kidding. Half marathon. Yeah. Okay. I, I still think he could. I think he could whip something out. He really doesn't like. Well, you can listen to the podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so stay tuned for what he really doesn't like. Um. Anyways. So let's talk about our past week and uh, the week we got coming up. Well, we just got back from Colorado Springs, which was pretty cool. And we timed it just right because the weather was like... Perfect when we were there. Yeah. It, the last day, it was cold and windy and nasty. But the as far as we got there, it was gorgeous. And going from... Like when you hear 80 degree temps in Colorado, it's much different than 80 degree temps in Baltimore where it's like humid and stuff like 80 degrees there felt awesome yeah in the shade it was cool and in the sunshine it was just nice and dry air yeah i loved it i'm pretty sure the first night i drank like a gallon of water throughout the night because my mouth was sandpaper yeah my throat (laughs) breathing we the first day we went we went to uh garden of the gods and when we were running around super dusty Super dry. Like, I was hating that run. Like, I hated that run. Plus, we looked ridiculous. And we, we were at elevation. And so, <laughs> within the first 50 feet, I was like, I don't know if we're going to make it. Yeah. I'm glad I wasn't miles. the only one thinking that. Like, we started, they started running, uh, Megan, Robbie started running up the hill. And I was like, and there was a wind. Like, it was so weird. The weather was like, we thought we were going to get caught in a storm. Very the, fickle. Yeah. The wind was blowing against us. I was going uphill. I was like, I can't breathe. I'm like, this is the worst. And then all of a sudden, it's like the wind died away, the clouds cleared, and it was just sunny and nice. But yeah, it's still a rough first run in altitude for me. Not least. to mention, like Robbie looked like a banana in his all yellow say sky <laughs> stuff. You just looked insane in your purple. I looked like I was wearing matching. pajamas out on the. It's, it's black and pink. I'm pretty okay. sure people just thought we were European. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got a couple, like there was some side eye going on. Like, Definitely. Like trying not, like they wanted to look longer. To see what we're like, why are these guys out here? <laughs> yeah, um, but the Garden of the Gods was an amazing so place, cool. and we stayed at a hotel called Kinship Landing. If you're in Colorado Springs, you should check it out because it was nice, and they're like the best people. Ever. They have sparkling water on tap, yeah. which sold right there. Yeah, yeah, that was probably the biggest perk. And we actually, right? We did you try the heated kettle in your room? No, I wanted to. We bought one. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. There. We bought it while we were at the hotel. Megan it. And ordered it from Amazon. It might have been after dinner okay. and some cocktails that we decided nice. to buy that. You didn't just steal the one in your room? No. Thought about it. <laughs> yeah. That'd actually be a good idea. Um, anyways, so we were in Colorado Springs for a Solomon event, and they uh, have a new shoe coming out, the Ultra Glide, which can't say... Not supposed to say too much about it. because embar- Yeah, let's talk about well, it next week when we're talking to Courtney yeah, anyway. We, the embargo comes off tomorrow, yeah. so we can't talk about it. Um, but anyways, Courtney DeWalter, which really maybe my favorite runner up there. I mean, she's charming. And, and in person, she was just 
gracious and humble. Like there was a guy who was trying to adjust his shoes and there's like a lace locker in the tongue. And he clearly didn't have any idea who she was. And she knelt down on her knees and helped him lace up his shoes. Yeah. And, who and does that? And then even during the run, like it wasn't like you were like, Oh, let's keep up with the fast person on the trail. She was like, I think she was like towards, like I never saw her cause she, uh, was, she like was towards the I back or the, middle. I was the last person cause I was getting some film stuff. She was the last literally yeah. the last person in the group. Yeah, and she's just, you never felt like that, hey, I'm important, or hey, I'm good at this. and I'm know. the best at this in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and plus her smile is like amazingly contagious. Yeah. She's got good energy. She's just fun to be around. Yep, totally. Admit but it. we will have her on the show next week, mm-hmm. and it was a fun interview. We'll have her and Mike Ambrose, the product line manager of trail for solomon uh but anyways so we did a short run with them that was great rode a bike share electric assisted bikes which was super fun definitely a highlight of the trip yeah i felt like a kid again like we were like riding our bike someplace we felt like et remember because we were the town looked like the town in et very much and they had baskets in the bikes yeah And and i had the most charged bike which was key yeah they were power bikes which was my first experience on a power bike and like when you start pedaling, all of a sudden you're just ripping and it's like, it's the best feeling. It's like you just take off. Yeah. And then up the hill, <laughs> it was amazing to not have to bust your ass pedaling. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Riding them down the hill was one of the best parts of the trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so we did that. I had a great time. And I, I mean, you can go into the personal running stuff since we're there. Yeah. I went up the incline. I woke up at 4:30 a.m. Try to catch a sunrise wasn't there cuz it was cloudy. But if you've never been to the incline in Manitou Springs, it is probably one of the coolest things I've done. I didn't know that it was a huge deal at the time. I was like, "Oh, it's just some stairs up the mountain, like whatever." But it's like a mecca for a lot of people. People go there. <laughs> It's a mile of stairs. Yeah. Is it a mile or half mile? It's a, a mile. mile. Just a Oh, mile. yeah. But, I mean, elevation-wise, it's a half mile, right? Uh, yeah, it's 2,000 feet of elevation. So if you think about that, it's almost a 45-degree grade. Yeah. Like, it's not that at the beginning either. So there's parts where it's, <laughs> it's like... 90 degrees up <laughs> climbing a ladder. It's pretty steep. And, I mean, I was so freaking hot. Like, I compared it to maybe running a 5K, like a harder 5K. Because... Uh-huh. I'm not lying. I almost threw up multiple times <laughs> and probably like I'm going as slow as you can too. It's not like we're running up. And there was a couple of times when I started losing my balance and I'm like, you're fall like you're falling for a while. If you fall over, <laughs> like it's not like you're falling down the next step. You're like a slinky. You're definitely going. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a little nervous about that. Um, but Made to the top and it was it was fine, good. And, and then it, coming down looked real fun. Oh man, that has to be the best trail I've ever run. Just the bar trail down the mountain. It's like the perfect grade where you can like rip, like rip it pretty good, pretty good, pretty well. And there's enough rocks to make it fun, but not disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you hit one. Yeah. I set my alarm for four thirty a.m. and then I opened up my weather app and it said. 40 feels like 37 mm-hmm. and like misting. And we didn't bring any cold yeah. cold weather clothes. So I promptly turned off my alarm. But the thing was, and usually I would put on tights if it's like 
below 40, but I only had shorts. So I was like, that's what I'm wearing. And within two minutes of climbing that incline, you're good. Because <laughs> you're like, right so up. hot. You're just <laughs> boiling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would have loved to have gone. It, it just, with the taper, I'm actually kind of proud of myself for chilling because it sounded tempting because it's just, it's a mile of stairs. I'm like, that's not that big of a deal. But I knew that like the climb was going to be hard once you started going. And I'm like, last thing I need to do a week before, literally a week before a marathon His, was yeah. go up there and then bomb down a trail. No, it's good. It's good you didn't do it. But it also, I think it was great because it, it seemed like you were able to uh, bond with Taylor Boating, who is our trail reviewer out in Colorado, came down and visited with us, which was awesome and has great energy. And you guys got to do, I think it was like at one point, Brandon was saying he was going to go. Megan was going to go. I think it was actually worked out nicely for you guys to just have some yeah chill time and have good conversation. Yeah, I always enjoy that. Just like one-on-one with any runners, really. It's nice to have that, in, especially on trails. So I was, yeah, fortunate that he got to be there and got to hang out. But definitely if we're back again, y'all got to do it. For I, sure. Yeah, I'm I, in. I'll do it just... You got some killer vid- video and pictures, so mm-hmm. I'll do it just for that. I like that one where you're pondering off the distance. <laughs> I was pondering some <laughs> stuff, man. The it was just beautiful with the pines and the you could hear the river and stuff. It was cool. Um, and maybe, by the way, maybe throw some babbling brook just, uh, sound effects underneath. Yeah, <laughs> just for reference, I we did it in like 44 minutes, which Taylor probably could have done it in like at least a half an hour because I think he could run most of it. Um, but he, but. Killian Journey, I think, did it in like 17-something, maybe around 18 minutes. And Apollo Anton Ono did it in like 17.45, which I think is either the record or like 10 seconds off. It makes sense. First off, you've got the Olympic Training Center there in Colorado Springs, so he'd be yeah, there. Yeah, right. Two, like it's all, speed skating is all kicking out your, your thighs, getting low. Yeah, quad. So, <laughs> you know, he it makes sense that he would be up there. But, you know, I, I would still be, I think the 44 minutes is still fantastic considering we're sea level people and that's it's no joke like i know that's not even the highest altitude because when we you know we've been out in colorado several times and we've been at the high points we've been at leadville we've done all that stuff the when you come and i don't know if it's because maybe what it was but when we got there man like even we were walking down the street once we checked in the hotel i was out of breath a little bit oh yeah i mean and so I think it's 6,000 feet above sea level yeah. just in general. So then you go another mile up, you're talking 11,000 or whatever. And then you keep, you can keep going up to get to the top of Pikes Peak. Cause that's where the Pikes Peak marathon is and comes down that same trail. Yeah. I don't get why you have it. Robbie stated that he wants to do Pikes Peak marathon. I'm like, why? And it sounds like, insane. Oh, it sounds horrible. <laughs> Anyways, I, I could see it like, yeah, after you, I'm like, maybe, maybe do a couple of regular ones and then. Do it, but I started prepping yesterday. I ran out the Merritt parking garage. That's nice. nice. Yeah, it's a good little elevation in half a mile, quarter mile. Anyways, Thomas, Megan, which one of you wants to go? Tell us how you're. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about Thomas. You got race week coming up. What's what's your head feeling like? It's it's eerily calm, which is unnerving to me. It's actually bothering me that I'm not like more. Panicking, panicking, but you don't have any phantom injuries right now. I mean, there's a little bit of soreness in my ankle, uh, you know, stuff. Uh, I'm worried the the shoes feel a little harsh underfoot, and I'm like, what are they going to feel like when I'm at mile? What the Metaspeed guy? Yeah, but I don't know that it's the Metaspeed guy or my feet are just tired. Um, but 
Yeah. I mean, today I had my last kind of like tune up. And so I had like three miles easy and then two miles at marathon pace. I thought we were running something like on Thursday. That no, was today. it was today. It was this morning. The, you missed it. F, man. I didn't want to bother you. I didn't know. Like, you I didn't, did it with him. You didn't mention it again. So I was like, hey, Meg, do you want to? You said it was going to be on Thursday, didn't you? No, it's Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> I always do the speed work on Wednesday. But I, I mean, I'd love to get a run in with you before it. And I'll, I'll probably have another one before uh, the race day. But yeah, we did it. And we were doing the marathon pace. And I was like, it's not easy. It's not hard. It's I, like we were talking like it was. Okay conversational um yeah, like i didn't good. feel like i was taxed and like you know i talked to dave who's my coach at dave ames and um you know he's like hey look back at your training you, you did everything like you're ready for this he's like i don't want to hype you up too much or this and that but you know it could be a really good day for you so you know i'm going in optimistic yeah the hay is in the barn the barn is hayed it's all hate up hey 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 <laughs> um so that's on sunday york marathon yeah york marathon meg's running the half meg i do mean you, do you want to state your goal eh, i hate doing that okay that's I hate fine doing that but I, I'll, I'll just say my pr is 320 i'd love to break my pr okay good as of this minute race morning is starting at 48 degrees. Wow. Perfect. That is with true. zero wind, right? And yeah. I don't know if they flat can tell course, us that, too, right? Pretty flat. It's an out and back. It's just like, like NCR the NCR trail. Oh, okay. And the thing that's kind of crazy is Meg also did, like, so Meg came in, like, what I did is I ran by myself for the first three miles. I ran around Patterson Park, you know, and then came down towards uh, the waterfront to meet Meg. So Meg did her cool down miles at my marathon pace. So, Meg, Sweet. why don't you say what is your what is your half marathon pace? I don't know. I'm gonna go out at six fifteen and see if I can hang on. Okay. And today, Sweet. when you were doing your like just like your tempo, so I did my tempo by feel, <laughs> and I guess I got too aggressive in the beginning. So I ran it like a five k. I went out at six minute flat and oh, then shoot. ended with a six twelve. Six twelve average for no. I ran a six minute and then a six oh seven and then a six twelve. <laughs> oh wow. So but the, the six, but I, I here's the problem. Your six twelve was that when you ran back up the hill looking for me? I don't know, man. That's gonna be so. What's your half marathon goal? Technically, anything under a one twenty four would be a PR because I ran my one twenty two around the lake with the guys, like well, as a time trial. Right. What pace is that? Uh, that was a six eighteen. Okay. So, I'm gonna shoot for sub. 122 maybe that's really audacious i have no idea it's not audacious i think you're ready for it, it seems reasonable i mean all this training like when you're training for your marathon it felt like you were working really hard this one i kind of feel like you're like ah, i'm gonna go run a half marathon that's cool and you're still dropping the paces like insane we'll see we'll okay. see what happens on race day yeah. now robbie you seem to be getting serious you're you're a one of our sponsors is inside tracker and Robbie's gone ahead and scheduled an appointment to get his blood check. <laughs> yeah. And Robbie's running upstairs and now he's running up the Merritt garage and he's talking about Pikes Peak, Mer Pikes Peak Marathon. Yeah. What's going on, bud? I don't know. I feel like... Uh, Are you ready? I feel like the fog of the last year has like kind of lifted. So I feel mentally better. And yeah, I feel like I'm ready to... And especially as I'm like entering my... Like year thirty nine, I usually don't put much 
emphasis on age. That's because be, you're under 40. But it'd be nice to like <laughs> slingshot myself into like the 40. Yeah. But also, you know, I think hanging out and interviewing people and like, you know, things are getting back to normal and I'm talking to like people and seeing people do cool stuff. And it's like, like, I want to know like how, what is like the best that I could be, you know? Cause I feel like I've, I'm not gonna lie, I kind of coast along. <laughs> so I'm I call myself Normcore Runner on Instagram. I'm a, I'm a normal, just like eh, like I I have some natural talent, so I can run like decently if I want to. But I've never really like focused, especially on like the nutrition aspect, the you know like keeping up on training, like cross training type things, like a little bit of strengthening, nothing crazy, but just tidying things up. When do you start working with Megan? Um, so yeah, we're working with Featherston Nutrition. So I think I think I have a consultation like two weeks, cool, or next week, and so then after that, is yeah. Kimmy going to join you on that adventure? Because it really know. helps if you have someone eaten. And believe me, yeah, she would be into it for sure. And the food, like the food that she recommends, isn't like diet food. Well, that's the reason whole reason I'm into it is because I have made some of her stuff that like the recipes that she puts online and made that. And I'm just like, Oh, this is like good. Like, yeah. and the serving size, if you're running or working out, it's a plenty. Like I, when we yeah. started, I'm like, I'm eating too much. Yeah. So it's not like a diet. So yeah, that, and then just like, you know, I just want to be, especially with kids and stuff. I want to be a good example of like doing something with excellence, you know, instead of just, don't you don't you piss excellence? I wish I pissed Mountain Dew. <laughs> so is saying. there is there a goal race in mind for all of this, or are you just sort of getting into the swing? I mean, race? I have a goal that may be the end of next year. If are you talking about? Do you mentally, want to go sub three? Assuming I don't get mentally derailed <laughs> uh, for sub sub three for sure. Like that's just like in the cards. BQ obviously. Uh, I think an out, obviously <laughs> well, like everyone wants to beat yeah. you and I have like a real outlier goal that would be like top 10 at Baltimore marathon. Oh, oh wow. Like maybe not next year, but like maybe like in a couple of years. Well, people, you heard it here first, set your calendars. Now I said it. Now yeah. I have to really like shoot. Now I have to really like, wait, wait, wait until they bring back prize money. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What is? Do you top, think they're going to do that? No. Oh, what What is top ten in Baltimore? Like, what would it's your not, time have to be? It's not insane. I think it's like two fifty. Okay. Like, and what's your marathon PR right now? Three twenty five. Mm. Three twenty seven, something like that. Yeah. So it's like that's a leap. It is. Yeah, I know. But I also know, like, if I really. Like, I think I know my potential. It would be probably the limits of it, but I think. <laughs> you you won't know until you try? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a crazy goal. If I miss it and run a 255, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Or, and let's, we know people who've run 255 that were like, I can't believe that person can run a 255. Yeah. So it's doable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we know several people that you're like, have gone from also drop the numbers like severe. Like if you look at uh, even Jeremy Ardenoy, his first marathon was what? Like a 420. <laughs> yeah. And then he won Baltimore Marathon. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but they also do a great job of, you know, working hard and putting in like 
a lot of miles. I mean, at any other marathon cycle I've done before, like I peaked at like 45 miles, you know? So obviously I'd have to really up that a lot. I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily the weekly mileage. I think it's the years building on themselves That's and the consistency. for sure true. Yeah. There um, are, there are women who OTQ who peak at 45 miles yeah, a week. But I do think putting in that extra mileage is a surefire way to sure. just, you're going to run faster. I mean, I just remember doing great last year when I did the 225, running 65 or 70 miles a week. Yeah, it's it's, it's, a just, da- it's a little bit of a dangerous game though because yeah. you you go from yeah they recommend more mileage for faster times, but at the same time, I used to run a shy ton. I used to average three thousand miles a year. Mm-hmm. Now, like uh, two thousand yeah. is is where I'm at. It's also different well, and, as you age. That's what I'm True. saying. Like the rate of injury and True. stuff like that is uh, something that comes in. But you're you're 39. Yeah, I mean, I think doing it in a smart way and you know having down weeks too i'm okay with that but mainly do just doing more mileage i don't want to push it too hard all right let's go robbie we'll i don't know make, we'll, we'll see what happens we'll that's an insane science. that's an insane goal especially for baltimore but it's i think it would be cool just to be like i love baltimore i love the challenge of a course i love running hills that's the other thing with doing the pikes peak maybe like i, I do love hills like that's probably my favorite workout when I get to do it. Anyways, lots of gun road repeats. <laughs> you and I are such opposite runners. It's crazy, <laughs> but it's good. All right. Well, do you, cause you prefer like intervals and tempos type stuff. Yeah. I love speed work. I hate hills. Okay. See, I hate speed. Like I really, I don't mind track workouts. They're kind of fun, mm, but track workouts, but I hate like if I'm just on a run and have to do intervals, that's my worst thing. That's my favorite. <laughs> that's my- <laughs> I'm with Meg on that. I, lo- I don't mind hills, though. Like when we do hill repeats in the park, I, I enjoy those too. I think that takes the pressure off because you're not really focusing on pace. You're fo- focusing on effort. Just getting to the top of that. <laughs> so, you know, that's fun and, and cool. Uh, but, you know, one of my favorite work as I did this past training session was hill repeats that ended in um, 400s. So I did heel re- like uh, 10 times hill repeats. And then we did like, uh, I think it was four or six times 400s. Okay. At, oh, that's and, cool. And it was, it was a great workout. It that was so much fun. fun. Yeah. And it's nice. perfect for Patterson Park because you just go up and down that hill and then you come down to that flat, flat circle. Part. Yeah. And, and just did the, did the work. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Well, anyways, so we'll see. I'm feeling good. I'm excited. Nice. Summer's I coming. Love it. <laughs> hey. Cool. Things. Yeah. Grit's coming. All right, so checking in, first check-in. What's on my mind this week as I go into taper for uh, Sunday's run? Well, it's the head games. Always the head games. Running isn't that hard. Getting out the door, running, and actually physically running, anybody can do it. It's the mental stuff, whether you're going to get off the couch, whether you're going to lace up your shoes, whether you're going to go out when it's raining, whether you're going to go out when it's too hot. All the little excuses you could give yourself not to run, you've beaten them. You made it out the door. So congrats on that first step. Brooks Aurora, real quick. Yeah. Aurora BL. You might, and if you're listening to the podcast and follow us, you might have seen this shoe already. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Wait, Megan, did you? You got it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You ran like a decent amount of mileage in it. Yeah. I think I probably have 60, 70 miles in it. Yeah. I have, like you said, almost 100, and I'm like, we we have, just between Megan and I, we have over 100. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought Megan had like 40. No, she was killing it. 
she likes for that whatever shoe. reason i kept like picking up that shoe and lacing it up so i mean it's it's a really decent shoe it doesn't it go a lot faster than you think it would like when you start moving yeah. faster it i mean it picks up really well it feels good but it doesn't feel bad if like i'm just no. slogging around but it does it it I mean you kind of naturally pick up the pace because it's kind of bouncy yeah yeah, like when we did the progression run where you did the first seven of it, I felt like as we went along, we picked up the pace naturally in it. I didn't think it was bad at, you know, a warm-up pace and doing 17 miles, and it, it certainly, towards the end, naturally picked up for me. I don't know, uh, you know, See. what was going on, but yeah, we just kind of kept dropping the pace. And- and if you don't know what the Brooks Aurora BL is, check out our Instagram. You'll see the photos on there. It's pretty obvious what shoe it is because yeah. it looks like a spaceship. Bubbles. A bubble spaceship. It's got big clouds under your foot. Yeah. But it, it, it's interesting with a decoupled heel. It's got a nice airy mesh upper, six millimeter drop. Um, like it has a really nice sleeve around the, over the arch mm-hmm. that keeps your foot over the uh, midsole nicely. I love it. I, I think it's a really good daily trainer. Um, the price, Robbie. Yeah, the price is high. I don't know if the price is right. It's $200 for... It is a limited release, supposedly. Someone said one and done. Is that possible? Like, why would you one and done a shoe? Someone was asking if that's what it was. I don't know if that's yeah. actually what it is. But, I mean, they said limited release. I'm assuming that that could mean that. I think it's all part of the marketing, too. Yeah. Yeah. But do you just think that they're going to start throwing it into another shoe or line or something? I mean, I don't. I, I heard that the glycerin is going to get the infused, the nitrogen oh, nit- infused wow. midsole. Okay. I'm not sure. I, I just think it's a superior material to traditional EVA at this point. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised because I think the glycerin has the DNA loft, which is this is the loft V3. By the way, there is a, another loft. I still don't know if there's any a loft of them nitrogen in shoes. No, they're just like EVA. Yeah. So maybe that's what they're trying to do is bring this. Here's the right. thing. Now we're going to put it in the other shoes. And yeah. maybe the loft V2 is a lesser dynamic version of the V3 that they're putting into some of the daily maybe. trainers. Maybe. Yeah. Because I was looking at our reviews and there is a DNA loft, but the V2 <laughs> seems to be the missing link. Anyways. We so, all enjoyed the shoe. Yeah, and lightweight, um, pretty looks not like a Brooks shoe, which it's helpful. is helpful. Kind of a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. If it doesn't look like any brand, it's kind of wild looking. Yeah. Well, people were saying it looks a little bit like the Nike, and then somebody said that it looks like the Solomon uh, shoe. That which the, the free yeah the, there's there, there's segments. It the it's like saying Nike. it looks like a caterpillar. I felt like from the from. The top down, it looked like a Skechers. See, and I didn't get that at all. Mm. Okay. Maybe. Anyways, so we got that, and we got all the Saucony Endorphin shoes in, so we'll talk about them at some point. It's basically the same thing as last year. But checkered. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Shake and bake. All right, so next up, we're interviewing Ryan Hall. You may have heard of him. He's the fastest American in the half marathon distance as well as the marathon He's a total running stud that has given it all up to lift weights and coach his wife, Sarah Hall. So he's on a new journey. We talked to him to kind of see where his mindset is. We talk about him, talk about everything from running, why he left, what's going on now, coaching Sarah, 
and uh, why he would hold up a bag of maltodextrin in his Instagram feed. So check out the interview. We hope you enjoy it. Why don't we start off by introducing Ryan Hall to those who, I mean, I can't imagine anybody who's listening to our podcast wouldn't know who Ryan is. (laughs) But we're talking right now to, as far as running goes, I mean, he's stepped into other arenas now, but as far as running goes, he's still the fastest half marathoner and, and fastest marathon. American. American. Yeah, I always got to put the American <laughs> in front of it. American marathoner, half marathoner. He still holds the record for that. So we, we are talking to one hell of a stud around the uh, running world, but he's kind of taking a step back and we're going to check in and see what you're up to now. Yeah, Ryan, if, cool, yeah. if you had to give your own introduction here, uh, what are we missing? What are, What is Ryan Hall now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, uh, it's been an ever-evolving journey, as, as it is for everyone in life. You know, like, that's how it's supposed to be. It was actually, like, one of the best pieces of advice I got when I retired from pro running in 2016. Um, the, the CEO of ASICS, he flew out to Reading. Um, when I decided I was going to retire, just have dinner with uh, Sarah and I and just talk with me. And I thought he was going to try and like talk me out of retiring, you know? <laughs> so I was 33 at the time when I retired, still like fairly young. And I was like, oh man, here we go. CEO of ASICS flying out to see me, have dinner. Like, like, oh, it's just kind of like, this, this could be a, a tough conversation, you know? But he was actually like super supportive of what I was doing. And um, it was Gene is his first name. I'm blanking on his last name now. They've, they've had a lot of CEOs at ASIC. So, um, but he gave me such great advice. He, he told me, he's like, he's like, keep evolving, keep changing, keep growing. Like, don't get stuck in the past. And he was giving me examples of other pro athletes from other sports who have continued to like grow as a person, as an individual. And, uh, and also like, it's, it's interesting, right. For other people to follow people as they evolve and change. So, um, you know, right, right. When I retired from pro running, got into lifting, I was super bad at super weak. Um, and so that was kind of like a fun hobby and a way for me to like transition out of the sport and, and stay true to who I am, which is like, I just crave physical challenge. Right. So I had to find like a new way to meet that need that I have. So that was uh, one aspect of retiring. But then also, too, like I realized I, I was kind of like not wanting to go into the coaching route after I retired from pro running. So that's like so trendy. It's like what everyone does, right? Like they retire and then start coaching. And I was like, oh, man, everyone does that. Like I don't want to do that. But then I got to that point and I was like, hold on a second. Like I've spent the last 20 years of my life where this is my craft. This is my passion. This is what I know the most about. And not only that, but I just went through all these really high highs, but really low lows. And I made all these mistakes along the way. And it'd be such a shame now to just walk away from the sport and have all those failures and all those shortcomings not help other people in their journey. So it kind of made sense. Like things clicked to me at that time. They're like, okay, like this is why pro runners get into coaching after they're done running because you've done so many things well. I've learned from so many like the best coaches in the world, yet I also made a lot of mistakes along the way. And you want to go back and be like, okay, my failures 
were not for nothing, right? Like they hurt me in my career. Um, but now I'm going to go back and I'm going to do things right with my athletes that I'm working with now. So kind of transitioned into the coaching space as well as getting into the lifting and um, started off. I was actually already coaching a buddy of mine. He went to Stanford. He was my first athlete that I coached. And he's like this crazy mountaineer guy, David. He's climbed Everest a bunch of times and done all this crazy stuff. So he was actually my first athlete. And then Sarah after that. And as Sarah moved to the marathon, it just made more and more sense for me to coach her first. So, um, you know, started that journey with Sarah and starting, you know, she started at like a 242 marathon in Chicago. And now here we are, you know, five and a half years later, six years later, and she's, you know, run 220, the second fastest American to ever run the distance there. So been fun, like working with her and then other athletes online. And uh, me and my buddy started online training business because, the thing is, I can only coach so many athletes. So I coach like 12 athletes personally now, but I want to broaden that reach. So we started, uh, Jay Stevenson and myself, we started Run Free Training, where we coach every level of athlete. And uh, we have about 100 athletes now and a whole bunch of coaches, a couple dozen coaches who are just doing phenomenal jobs, kind of implementing my training philosophy and patterns and things I've learned. Like I said, a lot of those mistakes I've made along the way, um, our athletes aren't making those mistakes now. And like that, that kind of makes you be able to look back at your own journey and be okay with it. Right. And be like, okay, like I don't need to be awake in the middle of the night kicking myself about doing that stupid workout two weeks before the New York city marathon I was in such good shape because now Sarah's not doing that and our athletes run free. They're not doing that. And so like that, that failure cost me a high price on the day in New York, for example, but uh, now a lot of athletes are benefiting from that mistake. So it's kind of a cool way to help me process my journey. And, uh, and then now go along people with people on their journey. I mean, that, that opening uh, speech there, that has so much meat in it, so much stuff we could <laughs> dive into. Like you touched on a lot of things that we're curious about in coming to it. I mean, I could go off on, we're curious about, the dynamic between going from being a pro runner to coaching and coaching your wife who is still a pro runner. So that, that, that in its own is one like platitude. And then there's other areas of, of which just coaching in general, we had questions about, we know that one of the things I love about you as, as, um, and from my point of view, I don't know you as a person. I know you as more as a character who I see on Instagram and I followed your running career and, you know, saw some of your ups and downs as, as you're running. Um, you know, so much pressure was put on you, like going into races like Boston or going into other races where they're like, Ryan's the man, he's the one to beat. And you would see, see stuff happening. There's so much of that, but you've always been really kind of open, open about your relationship with God, open with your relationship, uh, you know, with running open now with, you know, I'm doing this weightlifting thing and here's, you know, a bag of multidextrin, check it out. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's just an openness that I think makes you more well-rounded, like from an outsider, you seem well-rounded just because we can access that information or you serve it up. And so for us, like, let's, let's start with one of the questions. Like I'm curious about in your coaching now with your athletes, does God play a role in it or is it kind of secular where you're working with different athletes and you know, maybe this athlete is not religious, but they want your running knowledge or is it kind of like a package 
deal? Yeah, totally. That's a great question. I mean, I think I've realized how oftentimes like we just put different labels on things, you know? And so like, like I might, for example, if I'm working on an athlete's training, like I'm asking this question in my mind over and over again, like, what does this athlete need? What does this athlete need? Like that's what's going through my mind as I'm designing that week's plan. And so some people looking in on the outside, who's maybe not a religious person, they would say, you know, that's your intuition. Like you're using your intuition, right? You're chewing on this thing. Like you're just like going deep with it. Like you just can't let it go. Right. Like they can totally relate to that and get that. Um, I give it a different label. You know, I feel like God is involved in everything I do. Like I think he's involved in everything that all of us are doing all the time. And I think he wants to speak to us all the time. Right. So about everything. So I can't like remove that from the equation for me and be like, Oh, uh, like, you know, I'm going to just set God aside. It's like, no, like God is always involved in the process, whether I'm in the weight room trying to figure out what lift I should do next or how I should approach something. Like I'm always just like chewing on these things. You, like I said, some people might call that intuition. I call it like chewing on things with God. I call it prayer. Right. So um, I think different labels for different people. And, but I think a lot of people are tapping into the same thing. Right. Like yeah. I think a lot of coaches like, I remember Steve Magnus posting about this. He's like, I just love going to the track with like, I don't even, I have an idea of what I'm trying to accomplish, but I don't have a nuts and bolt workout. Right. And so I'm just going to go, I'm going to read the athlete. I'm going to see how they're looking and I'm going to accomplish the goal that I have set out, but I don't know exactly how it's going to go. Right. And so like he's using his intuition or God or, you know, like people are going to put a lot of different labels on that. He's doing the same thing I'm doing, right. Where I'm, chewing on the training with God, he's doing it, his intuition or what he's seen and um, using his God giving senses to be a better coach. So, um, you know, I kind of see it now as like, we're all, a lot of us coaches are, we're doing the same thing. And that's interesting because when I was listening to your podcast this morning on, you did a really interesting podcast. If, if you haven't listened to it and I'm talking to the audience now, go listen to, um, Ryan Hall's podcast on depression. And it's basically you were inspired by the way to gold HBO uh, movie that Michael Phelps narrated. And it's just really interesting because I think that we all struggle, even if it's outside of running, I think that we love running because you can find an outlet for your struggle um, and maybe a a place to test yourself. But you were talking about going to the stadium and you, you, you know, wanted to figure out your purpose and where you fit in. And, and you said, you know, I, I, I could talk to my family, I could talk to other people, but I needed to sit down and talk to God and figure out where, where I was going with this. And I'm, I'm pretty non-religious. Uh, not that I'm non-religious. I, I'm just, I wasn't raised with religion. I grew up uh, without it. So it was a hard to, harder to take the leap of faith as I was older. So I've always trusted my gut. And when I heard you talking about that, I related it to trusting your gut, like going in deep and thinking about a situation and going, what feels right? And you said going back to Stanford felt right. You follow. And to you, that's God speaking to you. And it is, it's just a label. It's how you want to interpret getting that information in the radio station you're tuned into. But that, so I, I, I think I understand where you're coming from. One of the questions I would follow that up with is at one point you decided to step away from coaching having a coach and you decided to coach yourself and go with your gut and God and everything like that. 
And it seemed to be that that was somewhat of a struggle for you. But now you're coaching Sarah and it seems like you're an ideal coach for Sarah. It's what changed. Is it harder to coach yourself and follow through and it's easier for you to coach someone else? Or do you feel that it's misinterpreted how your training went when you started training for yourself? Yeah. uh, I mean, going back into that season, like I wouldn't do anything different. Like I'm glad that I had that season. It, It placed me in a place where it forced me to grow. And I was in a place with my faith where nothing was forcing me to grow. Like everything was provided. I had no like real needs, nothing I really needed God for. Right. So it's a way for me to position myself where I was like, I'm going to have to grow. If I'm going to be in this place where I'm going to have God as my coach. And, uh, and he, he certainly like, I learned so much during that time and there it, with anything worth going after there's going to be struggles along the way right so it was not a perfect process at all like there were things that like when I felt like I was hearing from God that I wasn't um and things I just messed up and got wrong right Um, but yet there was also so many important lessons that I still use and reflect reflect on often now as a coach um for example like probably the biggest lesson I learned during that season was that how I'm doing workout is more important than the nuts and the bolts of the workout. And so, you know, now like I can implement that with my, with my athletes where oftentimes I'm prescribing effort rather than a certain pace I'm trying to get them to hit. Cause I want them to find that sweet spot in effort because you know, you can, if you write a, a pace down on a piece of paper, an athlete can obsess over that. And that's all of a sudden that's the definition of success that day. Yes. And like they will, themselves to hit that time right and that's not what i want as a coach like i want them to find the perfect effort level so that they absorb the training well so that they grow so that they're not racing their workouts so that when they show up to the race like they're ready to go and they haven't already raced themselves in you know raced in training and now they're flat as a pancake in the race so um lessons like that i still implement with my athletes um, I'd say probably, you know, the biggest challenge was just being out there as an athlete and trying to make decisions in the middle of workouts in terms of what I should do. You know, like that's just such a tough place as an athlete where you're like, should I continue with this workout? Should I tweak my pace? Should I take rest during this? Like there's a million different things you can do to adjust a workout as it's going. And I just, I, I didn't enjoy that part of it. Like being out in the middle of workout and being like, all right, this isn't going well. I know I need to adjust something. What do I do? Is like, I just, in those moments as an athlete, I just want someone to tell me what I needed to do, right? So I'd say that was probably like the biggest challenge from that season in a way that now as a coach, especially with Sarah, since I'm in person with her, because all my other athletes are all remote, um, which, you know, provides its own challenge. But with Sarah being in person, I, I can see she's looking. I can see the effort she's putting forth. And I can just tell her, be like, all right, you know, like we're supposed to do this threshold. We're going to break it up. We're going to take a break in the middle of it for X, Y, and Z reasons, you know? So um, definitely learned a lot through that season. And, and like I said, implement a lot of the things I learned from that season. And, and really like, I think for me, and this is the thing with God, it's like oftentimes I feel like, especially as a Christian, we go to God to be more results, Right. Like we want God to show up. We want him to do something for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like 
I was certainly guilty of that, you know, like in my pro running days, you know, and I think a lot of people are, it's like, I pray for this person. I want them to get better. And yet what I found is like, God's way more concerned about what's going on inside of here than what is happening out here. Right. And so like, with having God as my coach, I really felt like he helped me navigate the trickiest season of my running, which was that transition out of the sport, which was, you know, from uh, 2012, the London Olympics dropping out with the hamstring injury. The next four years was just a mess. And, you know, going back to the podcast inspired by the way to gold, that, that could have been a really bad situation for me, that four-year period. Like running was my everything, is what I was passionate about. It, it, I was always nervous about the day I was going to retire. Like I could have very well like fell into a very deep, very, very bad depression during that season. And I felt like having God as my coach during that season just gave me perspective and insights, not necessarily on what to do on the outside, because no matter what I did on the outside, it wasn't working. But he dealt with me here, what was going on inside and what was going on up here in my head. And it really, like, I mean, it was a hard season, but I was pretty happy through that whole season. Even though on the outside, everything is deteriorating, getting worse. Like, I was pretty good in here, right? And I've been I've been pretty good. Like, I have my challenges, like I mentioned in the podcast, you know. But um, he helped me navigate that season. That it, it could have ended, right? So. Yeah. Um, super, super grateful that I did have that season and, and learn lessons within that season. Well, it's interesting. You talk, I, I want to touch on the effort thing. I'm sure, Megan, you want to hear about the effort, like how to determine the effort for the athlete. And the other thing I would say is, um, you know, I can't imagine, like there's things that we can imagine. As a runner, I can imagine a hard workout. I can imagine giving it your all in a marathon. I can imagine some of the things that we probably share in common at different levels, like you, you are obviously at the highest level peak level of running, but having a hard mile as an amateur and having a hard mile as a pro it, they both suck. You get it. <laughs> and, and, and it's not good. The thing that I can't relate to and almost, it's not that I don't want you to think that we feel pity or anything, but when you see like, the you set an athlete up and he's supposed to be a rock star and impenetrable he's supposed to perform every time and when the pressure of that i can't even imagine that's what i can't i'm trying to articulate that i can't relate to the pressure of standing up at that front line knowing that you had a bad race you had a couple bad workouts you're stepping up to the to the line and knowing that your sponsors are watching that the other competitors are watching everybody. You are at that point, a target. And that added on top of performing well and how that would feel if things don't go right and how that would compound. Like it can't, it doesn't get easier. If you win, that's great. You know, you got to defend it. If you lose now you're there's, there's smell of blood in the air and can you explain maybe what that's like? And I don't want to dwell too much on the negative side because I, I really want to talk about the positive things you're doing. But I think that for even for the amateur athlete right now, we all struggle with this stuff and want to get better. And to kind of hear from you who have experienced it like the pinnacle, I think it's interesting. 
Yeah, totally. And yeah, I think everyone can relate on the level of being nervous, right? It's like, I get nervous, like when I'm in my home gym trying to pull a PR in the deadlift, you know, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I'll get nervous. It doesn't matter, like, what level we're at or if we're in a race or if we're at home by ourselves. Like, like we all know it's like getting nervous. And I think it's, it's like that, but to another level, you know? Um, and the thing that's what I focused on when I was feeling pressure, nervous, all that stuff. First off, like I was, I put the most pressure on myself from the time I was a little kid. Like I had to learn to manage my own self pressure. Like I felt that way more than I felt pressure of the media or message boards or whatever, like articles. I think one thing that really helped me deal with the outside pressure was staying out of it. So like I'm much more active on like social media and stuff like that now. But back then, like I was, I wasn't paying attention to any comments. Uh, I wasn't reading any articles written about myself. Like I wasn't reading any interviews. Like I was just blinders on, like they focus on what I'm doing. And that helped a ton because I, I just knew myself. I knew from reading articles before, if I got some, some uh, reporters like quote stuck in my head, some negative quote, I knew that thing's just going to be turning in my mind forever. I got to just stay out of it. Like I wouldn't, that's why I didn't read anything. Like I still haven't read a lot of those articles. Like I, I don't go back and read that stuff just cause I'm like, I, I still just need to stay focused on what I'm doing. And but I think, irrelevant you know, going point. more towards the pop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but looking more like the positive side of things, um, when I'm feeling really nervous, when I'm feeling a lot of pressure, like, I just focus on, I just love performing. Like for me, like running was, it was an art form. It was a performance. It was like, like, oh man, like probably one of my favorite moments in my career was going out to the start line of the Boston Marathon. And they take us through this like human, like there's human uh, tunnel or whatever with runners on both sides of us. And we go out through the middle of them and, you know, they're just all hyped up. They want to see us. And like the race is about to start and I would always make sure I was just the last person that they, they would go through. And I would go through it. Like I was like leading a war cry. Like <laughs> I'd be giving everyone high fives. Like, like I was like, I'm going to bring the energy. Right. And I'm going to like receive the energy too from the crowd, from the other runners. Like for me, like I felt like I was leading like, like a brave heart scene. Right. Like we're going to war and like, this is going to be super fun. And so when I was in that kind of mentality, when like, I was like, I just can't wait to get out and perform. I can't wait, like get it, get into the hurt zone of the race. Like, I love it when it gets hard. I love it when I get to that <laughs> 20 more. You know, like that's where I come up to life. Right. And that's because I've always just had this mentality of like, I crave pain. Like I love pain. And these are the kind of thoughts I'm telling myself. So then you start to believe those thoughts and then you actually do start to enjoy the pain, right? So I think a lot of the, there's a good nervousness, which is like an excited nervousness. And there's a bad nervousness, which is a fearful nervousness. And so whenever I felt myself being that kind of fearful nervous, like I would just recenter myself and just being like, no, like I love the pain. Like I can't wait to start hurting. Like the first 20 miles of the race, it's just a warm up. It's just, it's just to get me to the point to where the race actually starts at mile 20 and just focusing on just like the love of just like performing the love of being out there, you know, and, and embracing 
every part of the journey is part of that, right? Like being super nervous, like that is a part of the experience that I knew like sitting here now, like one day I'll miss that, you know, like waiting for the Boston Marathon to start like those last couple seconds before the gun fires, your heart's just going a million miles a minute. Like I, I do, I don't, right? Like that's a part of the experience. And so learning to embrace like the parts of the journey that you love, but also the parts of the journey that maybe aren't so much fun and realize, hey, this is like all a part of it. This is all good. I'm really curious because it's it's still clear that you have this passion for running and your experiences like just talking about the start of the Boston Marathon. It's, you're very animated when you talk about it. So clearly you love it. Was there any bit of you... You mentioned that the ASICS CEO wanted to meet for dinner. Was there a little bit of you that was hoping they were going to ask you to come back and run professionally? Um, to be honest, no. So what was really helpful for me is I learned this from my pastor at Bethel Church in Reading. He's like, don't ever make an important decision in the wake of disappointment when you're feeling discouraged. And he's like, you need to make important decisions based on the big picture, right? So um, that really stuck with me when I re- uh, decided to retire. And so I remember being on the airplane ride and just thinking about like, okay, like let me not just like react to the disappointment I'm in, but look at the big picture. And I really did. Like I looked at like, okay, the last four years, how have things been going? And I literally, I tried everything I could think to try to turn my body around. Um, and I mentioned one thing at the end, remind me if I forget to come back to this, but, um, one thing that I didn't try that I wish I would have tried, but I, everything at that time that I could think to try to turn my body around, I tried and it just wasn't working. Right. So I tried spacing my workouts more, doing more cross training. I tried changing up my nutrition. I tried putting on weight. I tried all the taking breaks. I tried all this different stuff, all these different training methodologies. I tried like Maffetoni training, you know, where you don't go above a certain heart rate, but you're always in this heart rate zone. Um, you know, I was consulting with guys like Jack Daniels and Renato Canova and all these other coaches too. Like it wasn't just like ideas I was coming up with. Like I was talking to a lot of other people and trying to get my body right and nothing I was doing was working. So I got to the point where there was zero curiosity as if to figure out if I could turn the ship around. Like it was clear, like the ship was going one direction and it wasn't, it wasn't going around. So there was no point in the journey where I was like, eh, like I kind of want to come back. I kind of want to stay in this. It was just like, my body's just done is is how I felt. Now going back to what I was going to say, if I could go back and do it all over again, um, I'd probably take my mom's advice. I remember she told me one time, she's like, you just, you're running so much and working your body so much. And this is what I was running professionally. And she's my mom. Like she doesn't know like anything about training. <laughs> she's like, you just need to take like off. Right. And I was like, mom, you're crazy. Three months off. Get out of here. I'm 200 pounds and all fat and out of weight, out of shape by then. Um, but looking back on it, like I, that is probably the only thing I can think of that I could have done differently is, uh, just take a big break, step away from the sport for three to even six months and then come back to it and see what happens. Um, cause I will say now, like my body's in a really good spot. Like I feel my energy's good throughout the day. 
Um, I feel super fast. I have a ton of power in my legs now from all the lifting I've been doing. But just like hormonally, I feel better. Energy-wise, I feel better. And so there's a little bit of like, well, you know, maybe if I stepped away for an extended period of time, maybe I could have, you know, come back and got myself in decent shape. Could you be satisfied being a recreational runner? Like, do you, do you ever see a time where you'll be like, you know what? I just like running. I, I, I still have a relationship with it. Like, cause right now you're not running at all. Pretty much. I, I think you ran a mile the other day or something like that. Could, could there be a time where we see Ryan Hall being like, you know what? I feel like just running a marathon, like a regular super fast dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'll never say never. Because I tend to go back on my nevers when I do say <laughs> So, but do I've you learned have to, a, uh, to not say I'll never do? That. Is there a positive relationship with running where you like? I I feel like it's someone so, somewhat a blessing for some people that didn't run early on that they can hit PRs later in life and can find enjoyment in running, or maybe even just find enjoyment in the act of running and the feeling of running. Where I feel like you've reached this pinnacle, and it's like if you came out. And ran, you know, I don't know even what would be slow for you for a marathon at this point, like two thirty, you know, <laughs> two forty-five, something like that. Um, would you still be like, oh, that that was fun? I enjoyed moving and and running and my relationship with running. To be honest, it'd be hard for me. Um, I I could more see myself in that situation, just being out in the forest, running on a single track trail by myself. Like those are, I, I do miss that. You know, I miss being outside. I miss feeling on my body motion. But the thing is, it feels so different now than it used to feel. And so what's hardest for me is knowing and remembering so well how it can feel and feeling how it does feel now. Just being like, this is not supposed to be how it feels. <laughs> so it's almost like, it's like you want to, like, like not watch your wedding after you've been through it because you're like, you remember it so perfectly. Right. And like, you're afraid if you go back and watch it, it's not going to be as perfect as you remember it. It's kind of like that. It's like running was oh, like the day I ran 59 43. Like I could go back and relive that run groundhog day over and over again forever. Like it was just so epic. Like it felt so good. It felt so easy, so fluid so effortless like felt like i was floating right like Mm. almost the entire way it was insane and to remember that and then to now uh, i am training for this challenge i'm gonna do this 500 pound deadlift straight into a sub five minute mile so i've been hopping (laughs) on a treadmill a little bit uh, some 400 meter repeats i was actually doing this yesterday up here in the gym and uh it feels good for like 20 seconds 30 seconds (laughs) then like no this is how it's supposed to feel <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a familiar feeling for us but this is a little bit of a controversial topic but the shoes now are very different than when you ran your 59 half you were just talking about do you ever think about what that time would have been if you were wearing let's say the metaspeed sky <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah i mean i can only imagine right like I don't know how fast it would have been, but I mean, I've, I've put the shoes on. I've walked around my kitchen in, in them and I'm like, I feel like these are like space shoes. I mean, it, it's, it's 
tough for me as an athlete, honestly, to go through this transition. Um, just because I always felt like I knew what I was watching before with athletes, right? It's like you see someone run fast, it's like, damn, what are they doing with their training? What's happening like with their fitness? Like, this is crazy, like this person's so fit. And now you watch performances and you're like, Oh yeah, like people are running like two minutes quicker than usual now, you know, and it's you that's always kind of floating around in the back of my mind. And I've always been very much about like how fit can you get in fitness. And uh, so it, it's hard for me. I almost feel like, um, you know, they just need to draw a line through the record books and be like, okay, like this is post carbon fiber plated shoes and we should just start all over. And not because I'm worried about losing my record. Like I know records are meant to be broken. The record will be broken. And I'm, I'm totally fine at peace with that. But I just, I would love to know what I'm watching. Right. And so now it is cool because we can compare like other athletes to other athletes at least. Um, at least on the roads, I think on the track, like companies are trying to scramble to catch up to the, to the other, you know, to Nike shoes and stuff. But on the roads, like I feel like most companies have a comparable shoe now. So at least we can compare from athletes to athletes, but comparing like this generation compared to the pre carbon plate shoe generations, it's impossible. I mean, like I still have my hyper speeds I ran in <laughs> and it's so funny. Like, take them and I just bend them with like fingers like this and I'm like no one can do this anymore it's like I used to think that the better the shoe was the lighter it was the more flexible it was the more minimal it was and now the shoes are just total opposite of that right so um, I would I would argue it was at the time the the lighter the shoe the less effort you had to use it over the long long haul I think where it's caught up is now the shoes are similar in weight but you are able to have more cushion so your legs are, are better recovery and the plate obviously helps. But do you, I equate it somewhat like tennis rackets. Like I'm sure you, when you were serving with a wooden tennis racket and then they moved up to, to aluminum and then on to uh, graphite and you, the speeds increase in the, I mean, now, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a professional tennis game. You can't even see the men serve. You can't, I, I don't know how the other guy on the other side sees it. It's just like, it's gone. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know, like it, it is interesting. I think that there definitely is a sea change in running since 2018 or whenever uh, it was when the vapor fly came along. I do think we saw the biggest, when we had the Olympic trials with uh, Meb running and um, Galen Rupp and on the women's side, we had Shalane Flanagan and, uh, I remember Kara was there and, you know, she's running sketchers and they didn't have a shoe that quite competed with the Vaporfly at the time. And it was kind of stealthy technology there. I kind of see how at first you, you're like, Hey, they just won. You just got to accept that. But now I can see how that could knowing the difference between the shoes and having run in all the shoes now. And I'm, certainly not at Olympic level, you know, just at an everyday runner level, I can see the benefit of them. So I can't say that it was a fair fight in that particular arena. I mean, would you agree, Meg? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting topic for sure. Um, but I, I, I mean, we're rooting for Sarah and her Metaspeed sky. So yeah, the marathon project was amazing <laughs> yeah. to watch and Cal Neff, being up there with it, who we've talked to before, it was like just amazing to see. I think that was a PR for him as well. 
Yeah, it was. So, uh, I mean, he's running ultra. So talk about a shoe that has no, <laughs> you know, no, not, not <laughs> much of a, a, an advantage there. Second check-in. All right, we're still talking mental. It's real easy to get caught up on individual runs, on your performance, and think this is who I am as a runner because you're just focusing on today's run. Whether you're feeling it or not feeling it, all the things that go into having a successful run, being hydrated, being nourished, getting sleep, all that stuff can play a role. So one run on its own doesn't define you. Just relax, try to have fun, enjoy it no matter what the pace is. I want to switch topics a little bit to your weight training or lifting. Um, Why that avenue? Like, I feel like runners sometimes go into triathlon or to ultras or cycling or also like Ryan had the perfect body. Like if anybody, if you could have a runner's body, (laughs) you wanted what Ryan had. You're like, that's, that's what I want to look like. And I remember seeing him first lifting. It was kind of like, have you ever seen like when comedians lift and then you're like, Hey, wait, you can't lift. It's you're, you're, you're changing your whole dynamic. And I remember seeing, seeing you the first time and it was almost shocking. Like, uh, like all of a sudden, like the guns and the barrel chest and stuff. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah. So why, why lifting? So I felt like it was the perfect thing for me to do. Like my body was so run down. Right. And I'm always careful when I talk about this because I don't want to leave the impression that running isn't a healthy thing to do or that you run a lot or run marathons. Like your body can be all run down and shot. Like there, there's a healthy way to do running, right? And running at a high level too. Um, but for me, I, I was pushing envelope all the time and overdoing it all the time, right? And I think also too, I talked about this in my podcast, like my natural body weight is probably about 165 pounds if I was just a normal guy walking around. And so for me to be racing marathons at 137 pounds, is a, is a pretty unhealthy weight for me to maintain, which is why I couldn't maintain that weight, right? I'd always like put on 10 pounds in the off season, which worked and was good. And when I didn't do that is when I got really run down and I got in real big trouble. So um, for me, my body was so beat up. I needed to do something, um, you know, uh, anabolic. Like, like running is very catabolic, right? It strips you down of everything you don't need except for what you need to run. And uh, my body's just craving like an anabolic activity that was going to build it up. That was going to make it stronger. So it just felt like the perfect activity for me to um, meet my body was with where it was at and with what it needed. And so, um, and I, I hated lifting. This was the funny, like when I was a runner, like I, I did lift, I forced myself to lift. I hated it. Not just trying to get through the weight room as quick as I can. Right. Um, so it's kind of funny that I ended up getting in super, super into lifting, but it really was like, the perfect activity for my body. And also to, you know, I mentioned like staying true to who you are. And sometimes like you're, you do, you have a passion to craft like I had with running and sometimes you get super injured or super run down and you can't do that craft anymore. And you got to find a way to meet the need that you have a physical need. For me, that physical need is like, I need physical challenge every single day. I need to push myself. If I can't do with running, I can deal with lifting. And if one day I can't deal with lifting, I'll find something else to do it with. Like, this is just who I am. It's what I need to be a healthy individual, right? So it kind of checks all those boxes. 
And also, too, like what I love about running, I love seeing growth. I love seeing progress. And I was so bad at lifting. I was so weak. I was so small. I had nowhere to go but up. So I was seeing just tons of growth, tons of progress relatively easily. And uh, it's just a way for me to continue to um, grow as a coach. Like I've learned so much from lifting that is applicable to running. You know, not just with how do you do weights for runners, which is the whole thing, but also just the training principles I've learned in the gym. They cross over to to running. So it's a way for me to stay sharp as a coach as well. And and also too, like I love to experiment with myself. And when I was doing that faith based coaching season, that was maybe one of my downfalls is I love to just try outside the box things and experiment with stuff. And that's that's all great, but you really shouldn't be doing that on world class athletes, right? Like you should be doing that with like so I, I'm experimenting all the time in the gym and sometimes things work and sometimes they don't, but it's like, you know, I'm not a professional power lifter or bodybuilder. So if it doesn't work, no big deal. Right. Um, whereas with my athletes and I'm coaching or the athletes we're coaching through run free training, like we give them the tried and true, the boiled down, the stuff that we know works that has worked repeatedly over and over and over again. And of course, like we leave room for coaches to like, use their intuition or God or whatever you want to call it, like into the training to integrate, to make it right and personalized for the athlete. But we're very much like sticking to the principles that we know work for sure. Whereas in the weight room, I can just throw all that stuff out, try whatever <laughs> I want. And like I said, it works great. If it doesn't, like I'm, I'm cool with that too. So you can ask the finish line question. I have another question about okay. the weightlifting real quick, because I'm very curious, like in running, we're training for a race. In weightlifting, are you competing or is this just like... That's what that's my, like what I'm saying is there's no finish line. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, there is no finish line. Like when I retired from running, I was like, all right, I want to get my deadlift, my squat, and my bench, which are all the powerlifting moves. I want to get all those over 300 pounds was my goal. And I thought it would take me like a lifetime to get there. So I was so weak. It was like... I was maxing out at like just about my body weight, like 140 pounds and all those things. So I was like, this is going to take me like 20 years to get there. Um, but I got there in like, like three years or something like that. And then it was like, okay, well, let me see if I can get my deadlift to 400. And I got there. And then this last year I got my deadlift to 500. I'm like, eh, let me see if I can get to 600. So it's just, yeah, like it's how far can you take it? Right. And, that, and it's just kind of like a mad scientist experiment. It's like, Let's take someone who probably has like the worst genetics on the planet. You know, if I can run a 204 marathon, obviously I don't have like powerlifting genetics. And let's, let's see how far we can take this like bodybuilding and powerlifting thing. Yeah, I think it's hopefully inspiring for people that like, like I'll, I'll never be a world class powerlifter. I'll never be a world class bodybuilder. I'm not going to weigh 300 pounds. But you can get pretty far, right? Like no matter what your genetics are. And so like whether you want to be a runner, like my dad used to always say, like anyone can be a good runner. If you want to be a great runner, if you want to be a world-class runner, like, yeah, you're going to have to have some genetics, right? Like you got to have the gift. Like that, that's a part of it. But anyone, like I think honestly, I could take a 300-pound power lifter and give me enough time. I think I could turn him into a sub three hour marathoner, right? Which is like a solid marathon time. So, uh, you know, could I turn him into like an Olympic trials qualifying marathoner? No, like definitely not. But um, it's amazing what the body can do 
when you you do the training the right way, but it's not just enough to do the training. Like it has to be a lifestyle. And that's, that's why we started run free training. Our personal training business is because I see a lot of people who just think it's just all about the training, what the nuts bolts your workout. When it's like, I'll do the same exact training in the weight room. And if my, my nutrition, if I'm in a caloric deficit, I'm getting weaker and I'm losing weight. Right. Whereas like the same exact training, if I'm in a caloric overload, I'm getting stronger and I'm putting on weight. It's just all nutrition, right? That's the only thing I'm tweaking. And so it's like you got to have your nutrition on point. You got to have your sleep on point. You got to have you know, the one percent things, like all the the stretching, dynamic flexibility, the things that can keep you from getting hurt. Like you got to have the whole package if you're going to see how good it's something you can get. And so that's where like I kind of saw a gap. Um, in online training platforms or like there's a lot of amazing training platforms and we're friends with all these people right and we're both like rooting for them to be successful as well like that's something that's cool about the running communities like we're all behind each other even if we're competitors you know like like the running community is just very cool that way where we're all super supportive but i wasn't seeing a lot of like okay like let's look at your nutrition let's look at your sleep let's see what's going on in these other categories because that might be the only problem you're having. Maybe your training is perfect, but if you're not, if you're getting like three hours of sleep a night, it doesn't matter what kind of training you're doing. I could give you like the best, most dialed training on the planet. It's not going to work, right? So that's where you gotta, whether it's me with my lifting, like I gotta be dialed not just with my training, but with my nutrition, with my sleep, and all those other things that, that help you be a well-rounded athlete. Are you really eating five thousand calories a day? Yes. Well, not right now. So I go, I go through cycles, right? So um, that's something that you see in nature, right? Like everything works on cycles. So I think a lot of runners, they get stuck when they just do the same training year round. And even like you see like good things like running streaks or whatever. Like I've never had a running streak. I've, I always like take two weeks off twice a year with my running, right? Because you've got to cycle everything. And that's the hardest thing is when you have an athlete that just like knocked something out of the park, ran a good marathon. They just want to keep it going, right? Keep their fitness. And I was just having this conversation with one of my athletes the other day. I was like, listen, if you want to go higher, you got to let go. You got to let go of your fitness. I know you're really stoked with how things just went. You just popped a big PR. But if you don't let go of this fitness, I can't get you higher, right? So cycling things is so important. Same thing with my lifting and my nutrition. So I was eating 5,000 calories a day for about nine months um, during my bulk. And it was, oh, it's so hard. Like eating, I heard other bodybuilders say this and powerlifters, like eating is the hardest part. And they're so right. Like I I was hungry never. (laughs) Nothing ever tasted good. I craved nothing. I never wanted to eat. I woke up, I don't know if you guys ever wake up, but maybe if you ate like a really big meal late at night and you wake up just feeling like super full, you know, like I'd wake up like that every single morning and I'd be like, all right, let's go eat breakfast. Uh, (laughs) That sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, it it sounds fun to like, like when you're on the other end of things and maybe you're trying to lean out or you're a runner and you're hungry all the time. Like I was when I was running professionally. Sounds really good and is fun for a couple of weeks, but also too, like I'm keeping it clean, right? Like I my my sugar during workouts and post workouts, so that is part of the equation. But then the rest of the day, like I'm eating pretty clean. 
Um, although when you're eating 5,000 calories a day, I'm not eating like a whole bunch of oatmeal and super high fiber stuff. You're so full that you just can't get that stuff down. That's like the post about the maltodextrin. It's yeah. like oftentimes I'm just making like an 800 calorie shake with maltodextrin protein powder and just shooting it down, putting coconut oil in there, like <laughs> anything I can do out. And it, what's crazy though is like what happens to your metabolism when you do that, right? So I'll be eating 5,000 calories a day and not putting on a pound, not doing any running at all. I'm in the weight room like 60 to 90 minutes a day, 5,000 calories a day, and the scale's not budging, right? But then now, like, so I'm starting my cut. I'm like three or four weeks into my cut, and I went from already like 194 pounds. I'm already down to like 186, and I just reduced my calories from like 5,000 to like, Forty five hundred, then to four thousand, and I'll go like thirty five hundred. I might not even have to go lower than thirty five hundred, which is probably about what I was eating when I was running professionally. And I'm like lose, I'll lose a ton of weight and get super lean on thirty five hundred calories a day. So I did a podcast episode on that. Like oftentimes, with our runners, we we're working through their athlete intake form where we have to talk about the nutrition and have them keep a three day food log. And oftentimes, they're just not eating enough food. And yet they're like still need to lose weight. And so we might actually have to amp up the amount of calories that they're eating to get their metabolism up before then we start to back it back down and then they'll start leaning out. So it, it's again, it, it's really cool to like learn more about the body in a totally different space with the lifting, but then be able to apply it back to the running. Between obviously getting stronger feels great. So lifting feeling strong and having that like just feeling like you're healthy and strong is, is a great benefit, but also it physically changes you between how you felt you looked and, and stuff before you lifted, you know, lean muscle runner, obviously a fit athlete, but more tailored to running obviously. And then now where you're bulking up and you're cutting and you're growing muscle definition, is there a vanity component to this that where you like is part of the addiction of doing this is the way that you're changing your, your physical appearance? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I mean, I, I love seeing change and seeing growth, you know, like uh, if there's anything that drives me crazy, it's just staying the same for a long time, you know, like, and that's just a personality thing. I've just always kind of been that way, you know? Um, so yeah, that's definitely part of it. You know, it's like, it's fun to see change with the body and see, see how you can tweak things based on the training, the nutrition, the sleep, all that stuff. Um, and, yeah, it's just kind of fun to see where it can take it, you know. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a little bit of that. All right, final check-in. Sticking with the mental check-ins here. It's tough. Your mind's all over the place. You compare yourself to other runners. You compare yourself to other people achieving race times whether it's pace goals, whatever it is, how much they run during a week, you got to knock that off. You just got to focus on yourself. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Worry about your own journey. You'll enjoy your running a lot more. What is it like coaching Sarah and also being her husband? And is there like, do you turn on coach mode and then husband mode or is it all, does it all flow together? Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely uh it's got some real good points 
next to it, you know, like as a coach, you need to know your athlete, right? You need to be able to read your athlete, see how they're looking, how they're feeling. And it's like, I can tell how she's looking or feeling just by looking at the expression on her face. Right. So like there's some advantages for sure to coaching your, your uh, spouse, but then there's some tricky things too. Right. It's like, like oftentimes, like I'm always pacing her on the bike. And, uh, you know, like when you are a runner and you're working hard and you're in the middle of a long run and you're hangry and maybe like frustrated with how you're feeling or something, it's easy just like for emotions to kind of fly. And, um, and, and then for like me as a husband to like take things like, like personally, like, why are you getting mad at me? Like I'm out here trying to help you or whatever. When you really like, she's just, like, frustrated about how she's feeling. Right. So there, there, there's definitely like those misunderstandings that happen out there, um, within the run. And, um, but overall, it's, I mean, it's a huge, huge blessing to get to like travel the world together, um, get to go to her races. And like I said, just to know her so well allows me to like do a better job as a coach. Um, but I have a hard time doing the whole like the coach hat and then the husband hat thing. Like for me, it just, it, it all just kind of bleeds together. Right. Um, so we don't like necessarily have a, a protocol being like, okay, like this is when I'm your coach and this is when I'm your husband. It's just kind of like, it's, it's all kind of the same for us, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it definitely it has its challenges for sure, but, um, it's definitely a net positive. So super blessed to get to do it. That's awesome. So what is like, what's a typical day like right now? I know you're, I think you said all your girls are in virtual school still or yeah. So they're home and then you guys go do training for the day. Yeah. Yeah. So all our kids are online school and like they're, they're great at just like making it work. We don't have to sit next to them and watch them do their school. So it's been pretty easy. Like having to be a little bit older has certainly helped with that, you know? So yeah, they're, they're in online school and Sarah and I will go train in the morning and then come back and have lunch. And usually I'll go lift after that and the kids are out of school. And then I take them for a hike. Sarah does her second run. And then, uh, you know, we all meet up for dinner afterwards and hang out after dinner. So that's kind of like the usual flow, but yeah, it's one of those things where like COVID is present, presented, presented some challenges, but we've kind of like seen it as a positive, you know? And so it's allowed us to travel and travel as a family, go to different places, um, come up here to Crested Butte where we're at higher altitude, like 9,300 feet compared to Flagstaff. So um, it, it's also allowed us to have some unique opportunities that I think have helped Sarah's uh, year last year. And I think we saw that with some of the results that she was having. So, um, yeah, but they're, they're back to school next year. So we'll be kind of back in the staying in Flagstaff and that, that rhythm of life when, when the next school year starts back up. That's exciting. Did you see the year going this way? Like Sarah's kind of had an epic year in terms of racing and performance. And like you said, it wasn't exactly ideal in COVID times, but she's just had an outstanding year. Is this sort of the progression that you expected? Well, Sarah just, continues to just grow as an athlete and just get better and better you know um to be honest i was sitting in the stands you know there's only coaches at the london marathon this year so there's like 15 of us in the stands and i was sitting in the stands and you know they're doing like 1.1 mile loops or whatever um and i'm she's in the middle of a loop and i'm assessing the condition and it's rainy windy 
and her group just deteriorated. There's supposed to be a second group that she was supposed to be in, and there was just no one there. She's running all by herself. And I was like, this is a nightmare scenario for any athlete. But Sarah is also like really thrives with competition and having other people around it, which is why like I have to bike, I bike with her with every single workout so that she has someone there to chase, to tuck in behind. Like she's not used to running on her own like that. And I was like, this is a nightmare situation. Like I was just like, oh, why, why is it playing out this way? You know? And I'm thinking about like things I should tell her when she's going past. I was like, maybe I should pull her out and we should like come back for another race another day. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I just bit my tongue. I was like, I'm just going to just see how it's playing out as she's going, you know. And she just did such an amazing job of mentally staying in that race and pushing despite not having people around, despite it being really crappy conditions. And so I think that day, like, you know, obviously, like, her finish was epic and finishing second was insane, like, such an amazing result, like, the London Marathon in my opinion, it's always been like the hardest marathon in the world to win, even harder than the Olympic marathon. They always bring such a good field to that race. So to see her get second there was just like unreal. Um, but it was more like I was more proud of her just for how she ran that day in those conditions and just knowing like that's that's not it. That's not how she ticks. Like I, I always ran well like out in front by myself. Like I could push myself from the front. That's just how I've always been. And so this – this situation was the exact opposite of like how Sarah is wired and yet she overcame all of that, you know? And so to see her run that way was, was pretty unreal. But I mean, to, to answer your question, she just had such a, a steady progression. And I've seen it in her training where every single marathon buildup, she just gets like a couple seconds per mile quicker over her threshold distances, you know, anywhere from five to 16 miles. We'll do threshold runs. And, Every buildup is just a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And the thing is, it's like sometimes you show up to the race, you get the right day, you get the right pacemakers, you get the race, you get the time. But that oftentimes you don't. It's like she had days where she'd show up and it'd be super windy, just didn't get the time, or days where she got hurt right before the race, didn't get the time. And yet we knew the fitness was growing, right? And so I think this year we just kind of saw things materialize more so. Um, with London and then with the marathon project when you're in 220, there, there's never really been any shocking surprises because I'm just watching the data from her training and having done this as many times as I've done it, like I know what she's capable of. And so like she's just, this year she just kind of hit what she was capable of. And I would even say like marathon project, there's even, there's, there's more there, a little bit more there. So um, we're excited to chase that in the coming year, but She's also done a really good job just recently of transitioning to the track. That's something that I look back at my career and think I just made a big mistake of is getting away from 5k fitness because it's not fun to work on 5k fitness as a marathoner. Like all marathoners, we hate doing 400 meter repeats. We hate doing short track work. We hate interval days. Like I feel you. That's how I was. Right. And yet it's so, so important to stay fast in the marathon. Like if I would have stayed, my PR for 5K was 13.16 when I was a senior at Stanford. If I would have kept that 13.16 fitness all the way throughout my career, I guarantee you I would have had much, much better results and potentially longer lasting results as well. Um, so that's one of those mistakes I've learned from. And I just know with Sarah, it's like we got to keep hitting on this 5K, 10K fitness. And she's done a really good job transitioning to this track season and she's going to make a go at the Olympic trials and all that. 
Um, so there are like races incentive for her to chase, but I, I'm also like really excited to take this track fitness that we've built over this last spring and see how that plays out when we get into the fall and back to the marathon distance. Absolutely. As a marathoner, I kind of hate that you just said that, but I know that I have to work on the shorter, <laughs> faster stuff. Um, so we have a, just a few end of podcast questions that we ask everyone on here. I, the first one is, I don't think it's really applicable. We normally ask if you weren't um, in your current occupation, what would you be doing? But I, I mean, if you weren't coaching, is there something else that you think you'd be doing? No, but Sarah and I have always talked about doing in uh, some kind of development work. You know, we have a house in Ethiopia and that's something that Sarah's always wanted to do. Like she wasn't even sure she was going to run professionally coming out of Stanford. So she's always wanted to do development work. So we could see uh, sometime down the line, maybe when she's done with running, kind of moving in that direction a little bit. But I think I'll always be connected with the running space, um, with having run free training and um, just loving coaching. I think I'll always be somewhat in the coaching space, even if it means like starting a team in Ethiopia or, you know, something along those lines. But I definitely want to keep uh, growing run free training too. I'm super passionate about that. Very cool. So headphones or no headphones when you're lifting? Headphones every time. Okay. Always headphones. And yeah. what what are we listening to? Ooh. Uh, so I'm kind of like a electronic, like like a dance music. I'm, I can pull up my phone. I, okay. Like uh, I'm trying to. I don't really like know the names of the people that I like. I should should look, but. Yeah, like anything fast. It has to be fast. Like I don't do slow music when I'm lifting. Always like, like almost like cinematic, like okay, last like of the Mohican style. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so not like we're not listening to podcasts while you're lifting. Like there's like bumping music going on. Okay, super loud. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, and then the last question is, what's your? Well, this is also not really applicable. What's your go-to post-race meal or beverage? Or like, what's your celebratory, you know, meal or, or cocktail or beverage of sort? So, protein shake count. <laughs> I, mean, sure. I go protein. Shake. <laughs> um, but I do like a. So I do do the like post workout window. You know the the post lift. I'll do like. Like right now I'm on a, a fruit snacks. I do like like 300 calories of fruit snacks, which is quite a bit of fruit snacks. It's like, it's like four packets. Yeah. I'm just like throwing it down right after that with uh, some muscle tech, whey protein, and I'm good to go post-workout. That's my gym. So what about Sarah? Like after the London Marathon or the Marathon Project, are you guys going out for a, a meal? Yeah. Uh, so after London, it was – yeah, those, those are both kind of memorable experiences, actually. So after London, we had to go back to our hotel, like this COVID bubble, right? And so like a post-race uh, celebration dinner or whatever with other athletes. So that was cool. Um, that was fun. And then after the marathon project, we went to Ethiopian food um, with friends and family. But um, yeah, so we're not big into like alcohol, not so much because we're against it, but just we just don't really like the taste of it and just never like really gotten into it. So we're more like a, a food kind of celebration kind of thing. All right. I dig it. All right. 
That's all I had, Ryan. Um, if someone wants to be coached by you or someone on the Run Free team, where should they go to find you? Yeah, yeah, they can find us at runfreetraining.com is our website. Um, you can you can uh, do a free consult there and, and go from there. But, um, yeah, we have some great coaches, great staff there that are ready and excited to work with athletes. And like I said, what sets us apart is just this holistic approach to training right it's like we know it's not enough to just give you the right training like we've got to look under the hood we've got to look at your nutrition your sleep your lifting um all that is a part of it so um that's kind of what we're most passionate about run free and then our podcast run free training podcast um that's where we go into like the mental aspect of things the emotional aspect of things that's also a huge part of this holistic um aspect of training is is what is going on with your head and your heart. Um, we like to think like whatever you believe about yourself is going to come out um, at some point as an athlete, whether it's in the race or training or in all of it. And so we got to, we got to also pay attention to like what thoughts are going through your mind and, and how do we train our inner self? So if you're interested in that, the the podcast is totally obviously free. Anyone can tune in and, um, and that's just uh, oftentimes me going off on the subject and, um, yeah, yeah, love love having interacting with our listeners that way as well. I got to say, I'm pretty impressed. I in preparation for this interview, I went and listened to a bunch of your episodes, and I don't know how you're entertaining with just you talking for like 30 minutes, but it's it's really entertaining. <laughs> so thanks for yeah, this. Yeah, oh, thanks. I <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of like awkward recording this. So I'm just like in my garage, like talking talking to a whiteboard and <laughs> it feels like just me myself talking to no one. So I always, I like it when I, people like DM me on Instagram or something like that. And they tell me they got something out of it and it was helpful. And I always appreciate that. Be like, yes, there are people on the other side of my mic. <laughs> yeah, no, they're great. So yeah, keep them coming. I will. I will. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think I took a bunch of it, but really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed, I enjoyed chatting with you guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, so that wraps up this week's podcast. I want to thank Nick Sanchez, our producer. I want to thank Ryan Hall for coming on. And Meg, you want to thank anybody? How about the listeners? Thanks to all of our listeners um, for tuning in again this week. And check out Fuel for the Soul. Our first podcast went out where we partner up with Megan Featherston, who is a professional nutritionist. And uh, we, give, we answer your questions on nutrition subjects like hydration. Yeah, this week uh, we had a listener question from Karen Just about hydrating and running in the summer. And I think there is a lot to get out of it. Cool. Yeah, thanks for listening in. And if you have any questions or comments, Email us at info at bigrunmedia.com. And make sure you uh, put that hidden track on there, Nick. <laughs> <laughs>